Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Thanks, Angus. Yes, if you're a young person in our midst, Kirsty and the team and Cheryl and the team would love to be able to lead you. It's wonderful. As they go, I'd love to pray for them if we can, please. So would you join me in prayer? Loving and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the joy, the vitality, and the zeal of the young. We thank you for their questions. We thank you for their sense of wonder. Lord, may their presence in our community continue to be a source of joy and zeal and wonder. We pray that as they go out and learn a little bit more about what it means that you love them and that you gave your life for them, may their hearts and lives be transformed and may you plant seeds in their lives that will grow and blossom and flourish as they grow and blossom and flourish so that they may become people of deep and wondrous faith in this life. And loving God, we pray over the word that we are about to hear. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive it. And Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. I wanted to begin by telling you something truly wonderful, an experience that I had during the week. One of my favorite places to go for lunch in Gawla is the Gawla Hot Bread Bakery. Anyone ever been there? It's the bakery on Main Street, just down from the florist and just up from the Java Hut. There's a wonderful guy called Ryan that uh, is the owner and operator of that uh, bakery, and he makes the most amazing Vietnamese bread rolls. And they're called a banh mi's, if you've ever had a banh mi. It's a, it's a, it's a bread roll, a Vietnamese-style uh, roll, and, but then they stuff some like, pickled carrot and some coriander, and they put some uh, roast chicken or roast pork or whatever it is that you'd like in there, and you can have sweet chili or you can have hot chili. It's truly an amazing experience, life-changing even. I would say. And it's a bargain price, $6 for a chicken banh mi, which is one of my go-tos when I, have, when I buy my lunch uh, about once a week. Amazing service. Ryan is a wonderful guy. He calls me pasta every time I walk in. I ask him not to, but he does anyway. Just part of his tradition to show respect to me as a pastor in that way. It's a beautiful, beautiful place uh, to go and visit. And so I recommend that you do. Absolutely amazing. Go there. Shout out to you, Ryan, if you end up joining us or watching us online. Why did I tell you that story? It's what a way to start a sermon, hey? If we were to start our, our sermons every week by endorsing a local business in our community, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? Some people would totally disagree with that we should do that in any sort of way, but there's a reason that I began that way. 
Because it illustrates the final of our core values that we've been working our way through in this series over the last few weeks through Lent. It's been a series called Shaping Culture, where we've looked at our vision as a church, why we are here, which is to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. And that defines and that shapes our life as a church. If there's something we're doing that isn't working towards that end, we're going to stop doing it because we believe that why requires all the resources God has given us. But then we've been given values, things that we've discerned that will shape who we are and how we are going to be together. Our agreed behaviors, I suppose you could call them. And it's things that we've talked about like authentic community, fervent prayer, Radical generosity, welcoming hospitality. And then the last one, which I'll preach about today, relational evangelism. Now, if that's just a bunch of words, and if you're new or you're visiting or you're just dropping in online, I'd love you to go back to our YouTube channel or our podcast and check out all those sermons because they speak so wonderfully about who we are as a church. And if you want to know who we are, then go and encounter those and listen a little bit. And the bonus is, it's not just me preaching them. There's a, a, a number of different members from the life of our congregation sharing them. And that, that encourages me because it means that it's not just, it's not my vision. It's not my values as your, your lead pastor. It's at their hours. And we share them. And we embody them together. And so the topic that I'm talking about this morning is relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. Now, the first word, relational, some of us know what that one means. But evangelism, if you've been around church for any length of time at all, there's a little something twinges in your heart when we start talking evangelism. Because there's a growing discomfort that exists for many of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, around the term evangelism. Because it carries a whole lot of cultural baggage with it, does it not? What's the first thing that comes to mind when I talk evangelism? Door knocking. knocking. Street preachers with megaphones. Anyone seen one of those in Rundle Mall? We haven't seen too many in Gawler, but a couple. Might even be the Billy Graham Crusades of old. Evangelism. It doesn't necessarily have a particularly popular Perspective, And certainly, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you might have been on the other side of this attempt at evangelism. And it leaves so often a really sour, awkward, sort of yeah, funny taste in your mouth. Not necessarily a positive experience. And so what I want to do with some of our time today is I want to redeem this word for us. Can we do that? I want to redeem it. So I want you to, to leave your... I'm not going to say leave your baggage put it down, although some of us have some around this stuff, and that's cool. I want you to just put down your preconceived ideas around this. And can we go on a journey and rediscover what it means that we might take evangelism, but particularly as we'll discover relational evangelism seriously in the life of our church? Because if we don't, if we don't, the work of the God in the world the work of God in Gawler will be less for us not sharing what we know to be true about God. So let's define evangelism. 
Evangelism, we discover, is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus. He commands us to do it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus commissions his disciples into apostles as after he's been raised from the dead, which we'll hear a little bit more about next week, if, you, if you're new to all of that. You will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. That's his commission to the church. And he says in a, in a different way in Matthew 28, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and, the, and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you to the very end of the age. The commission of the church is to bear witness to what we know to be true. But what does it actually mean in this word evangelize? Well, I'm going to take you on a tour of ancient Greek. I can tell you're excited right now. Look at you. Yes, ancient Greek, let's listen to some, because if you didn't know, that's one of the languages that the ancient scriptures were written in to the original audience. But the term evangelism is from the word euangelion, euangelion, and it, it literally means the good message, or a good message, or as we've come to know it, gospel. Gospel of Jesus Christ is just simply the good message about Jesus, euangelion. But it comes from another word as well, euangelizo. Can you say that one with me? Euangelizo. Euangelizo, which means to announce good news, to announce good news. It combines the idea of good news with the word agelos, which what does that one mean? You don't know Greek, but you can tell me. What does agelos mean? Angel. Well done. Angel. Messenger. So it's good news and messenger combined together is actually what evangelism means. To be a bringer of good news. See, who says you don't learn anything in church? There you go. You, can get, you got that one? You can bring that out during conversations this week. See how you go. Impress people at lunchtime. So that's evangelism, to be a bringer of good news. But then this term relational is to do something within the context of relationship. This is not about being a stranger. This is about having a relationship. This can be spouse, a friend, a neighbor, but it's someone that you have a, some sort of f connection with, a relationship. And so when you put those two things together, what is it? It's sharing the good news in the context of a relationship. That's what relational evangelism actually means, to share the good news of Jesus Christ in the context of a relationship with someone that you know. And so the question becomes, what? What? are Jesus' disciples asked to bear witness to? What are we as followers of Jesus? What is this good news that we are asked to share? And the good news is simply summarized in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him 
won't perish, but have eternal life. We can expand that. These are the words of Jesus. We can expand that to add, and not just eternal life, but a life to its fullest now. That's the hope and the good news of Jesus. And that gift is a gift. means you can't earn it. means you don't deserve it. means there's nothing you can do to get it. It's a free gift of God. And it could be this morning, you logged on today, you are here this morning to hear that sentence alone. That Jesus, God's Son, came to earth and lived a perfect life and was killed for you to pay the wages of sin and death over your life, that you could experience a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you afterwards and explore what this looks like. But that's the good news we have as followers of Jesus. That's the good news we believe in. That whoever calls on the name of Jesus can be saved. And so relational evangelism, sharing that good news, is simply sharing what we know to be true and inviting people to come and see it for themselves. And as we look into the teaching passage for this morning, that's exactly what happened. This is not a new idea, relational evangelism. For some of us, the idea of evangelism changed a lot over the years. But what we discover is that this idea of sharing what you know to be true and then inviting someone to come and meet Jesus for themselves is as old as the disciples themselves. So let's have a look. We're going to head to John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It should be on the screens, but if, if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to follow along. I'll be reading in the NIV. So starting John chapter 1, verse 35. And the next day, John was there by the Sea of Galilee, by, sorry, by the, um, the River Jordan he was. And then he was there with his two disciples. So this is John, the cousin of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. Now that seems strange to us. But to his disciples, the ones who'd been following him, the Lamb of God made a lot of sense. They knew that term from the Jewish scriptures. The Lamb of God was to be the one that would save Israel. The one that was prophesied to come. And John says, look, here he is. He's walking by. And when the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus. They left John behind. They said, all right, we'll take that recommendation. Let's go. Let's follow Jesus. Lamb of God, that's a pretty good resume. We'll go with that. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Isn't that a question for the age? What do you want? What do you want, really? Because it's the question Jesus asks any one of us that would seek to follow him. For the first time, he would turn to us and say, what, you, what is it that you're looking for? Really? What do you want? 
because what I offer is greater than anything that could ever be offered. But you need to, be, you need to want it, what it actually is, to be able to receive it. What do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So these two, these two disciples of John, on the testimony of John, he says what he knows to be true about Jesus. And he, and he says, just come and see. Go, go and see. Go and be with, with Jesus and see for yourself. And they do. But then it continues, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who'd heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus on that first day. And the first thing, the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, Simon Peter, and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to see Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and he said, you're Simon. You're Simon, the son of John. But you're going to be called Cephas, which translated means Peter, which we understand when we read elsewhere is the rock. And Jesus prophesies that you will be the rock on which I will build my church, he says to Peter. What happens in this moment? Andrew encounters the living Jesus, has an experience with him, and then he goes, he can't help it, he goes and finds his brother and says, I found the Messiah, I found the one we've been looking for, come and see. And what does Jesus do when he encounters Peter or Simon? He speaks the, a word over his life that Simon needed to hear, and it changes his life forever. Friends, one of the things I think that we lose sight of when it comes to relational evangelism, when it comes to sharing our faith, is that all we ever need to do is share what we know to be true. What did Andrew say? He said, we found the Messiah, the one we've been looking for. Come and see. And it was Jesus, it was, it was Simon's encounter with Jesus one-on-one -on -one that changed his life, not Andrew's testimony. Andrew didn't do anything except say, we found him, come and see. It was Jesus, it was the encounter with Jesus that did the transforming. And so I do wonder if there's a word when it comes, there's a word that maybe we need to hear as if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and this evangelism word is tricky for you. Chill out is the word. Chill out. Because Andrew didn't do anything complicated. He just shared what he had discovered. And that you and I, we have experiences about Jesus. And those experiences have given us something to say. And it doesn't have to be theologically sound, and it doesn't have to be a debate-worthy testimony. It's just what we know. And if, if you're in a relationship with someone, they know you. 
and they trust you. And they already know that you're not crazy, which means whatever you've got to share of who you are, well, I assume they know you're not crazy. They might think so just a little bit. Some of us are at times. But if the relationship already has credibility, and if your word and your, your truth to them already has credibility, when you say something like this, they can't just dismiss it. They have to weigh it and go, do I know this person? Do I trust them? A brother, sister, friend, relative, parent, grandparent, whatever the relationship looks like, neighbor. If they're willing to trust you and go to Gawler Hot Bread Bakery and get a barn me on your word, why would this be any different? Because your experience is no less valid regarding Jesus as it is regarding a Vietnamese role. You think about that. But yet, for some reason, we feel like we need to have all the answers about that. But we don't. All we are called to do is to say, come and see this Jesus. And trust that Jesus will have what they require, not us. That Jesus will have what they require, not us. But the passage continues with two more disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and, and finding Philip on the way, he said, follow me. Now, this seems strange to us, but as a teaching rabbi, he would have had disciples, people that would follow him, people that would want to seek to understand his yoke, his teaching. And so it wasn't unusual for rabbis to have followers. But Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the son of Joseph, the carpenter from just down the road, around the corner, he makes great tables. Yeah, that Jesus, you know, the one we grew up with, the, the snotty-nosed one, that kid from back in synagogue, that guy. Yeah, he's the son of God. Come and see. And what is Nathaniel's response? Nazareth? <laughs> can anything good come from there? You can transpose that with whatever suburb we want to put prejudice on, in Adelaide or Gawler or whatever, part of the world. And put that straight on top of there. Can anything good come from there? And what's Philip's response? Well, okay, so if we, if we break this down, okay, so let me just stop you, Nathaniel, and I'm going to explain the way that the Scriptures point to, uh, to, to Bethlehem and, and the sort of the theological progression and the lineage. I've got the lineage of Jesus that I can help explain to you so that you can understand how this fits together. And so really, I'm right based on this logical argument. No, he just says, come and see. He doesn't say anything else. He doesn't need an answer. Just come and see. What time is Gawler Hot Bread Bakery open on Sundays? I don't know. Let's find out. Do they just do chicken or pork? Or can you have a little bit of both? 
I don't know. Let me call Ryan and I'll find out for you. I don't have to have all the answers to invite someone or recommend someone go and try a barn me roll, which they've just turned into a pie, by the way, which is amazing, so apparently you have to go and try that one. Sorry. I love food, can you tell? <laughs> I, didn't need all, I don't need all the answers to recommend that people go and try something that I've experienced and find, found to be wonderful. So I feel okay about saying, well, we'll check the times on Facebook, or I don't know, I'll ask him because I don't know the answer to this. Why is it? Help me understand. Why is it? Because I don't understand it. Why is it that you and I, when it comes to sharing our faith, that wonderful experience that we have, we some t- for reason feel like we need to have all the answers before we ch- share how something has changed our life. Why do we feel that way? What is that? Because if we're comfortable to, sh- to say to someone, hey, I'll help you discover the answer about something to do with a bakery or, a, I don't know, whatever you, illustration you want to use for this, how, Why? Why can we not do the same thing when it comes to our faith? Friends, we don't need all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. But how powerful it is to say to someone, hey, to be honest, I don't actually know the answer to that. But I want to, can we find out together? Like, I actually don't know how God works through, help, help, God helps people through depression. I actually don't quite know how it all fits together with baptism and, and whatever, or I don't, I don't know what really God has to say about, you know, women in leadership, or any, you could say anything, it doesn't matter, anything, any of the, the hot political topics of our time, I don't know, but let's find out together, because my experience of God is not afraid of a question because it's your experience. So maybe that's something that we need to pay attention to out of all of this. And so, come and see, verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly, Jesus says, is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This guy is a man of honor. How do you know me? Nathanael asked Jesus. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Before Philip even told you about me, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, we don't understand if Jesus actually saw him or was prophetically told about him. We don't don't know exactly what that looks like. But either way, Jesus knew him. And I believe it's a revelation of the Spirit that Jesus knew him. And Nathanael declared, as a result of this, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Again, it was not Nathanael's friend's testimony that convinced Nathanael of anything. All Nathanael said was, come and see. And Jesus met Nathanael where he was at. Jesus communicated with Nathaniel what he needed to hear to come to faith and understand Jesus as the Son of God. Friends, it's not up to us to convince anyone of anything. 
all we're called to do is to come, invite someone to come and see. What's interesting is that that, this idea of sharing hope, sharing faith in the context of relationship, it's not just a first century idea. Although there's plenty of examples of it in Scripture. But a a few years ago, a friend of Eloise's and mine, uh, her name's Dr. Lynn Taylor, she presented a doctoral thesis on Christian faith conversion in Australia. She shared her findings. She did a whole bunch of research and interviewed a bunch of people in different places, those that had come to faith in Jesus over the last couple of years in Australia. This isn't just this isn't somewhere else in the world, this is Australia. And what she discovered, the ultimate outcome of her thesis was that authentic relationship with a Christian was one of the key elements around faith conversion in our culture. People, as far as she encountered, are not coming to faith without meeting and knowing and having a meaningful and authentic relationship with a follower of Jesus. Gone are the days, gone are the days where you can go along to a crusade and hear a man or a woman, but I think it was mostly men, declare the truth of the gospel to 200,000 people and see half of the room be saved. Gone are those days. And there's a bunch of important reasons why. One of them is cultural context. One of them is the progression of the narrative of the world, and I'll talk about those things another day. But those things, that's not how the world is anymore. We're in a post-Christian world, they call it, where most people have no idea who Jesus is or what this whole thing of God is about, which means they need someone, the people that are coming to faith have someone in their life to help them connect the dots. And friends, that is why this matters so much. Because sharing faith is not about the professionals. It's about the everyone. The everyday people. People just like you. And people just like me. Because I make a joke sometimes as the minister and theology degree, all that sort of stuff. But I know some of you have got theology degrees too. But I make the joke that I'm the professional Christian in the room because I'm the one that always gets asked to say grace at dinner. I'm the one that always gets asked to pray for people. But friends, my prayers aren't any more powerful than yours and my witness isn't any more powerful than yours. Why? Because your experience is yours and the people that know and trust and love you need to hear your story, not mine. Now it must be said that God works in extraordinary ways. And so we can't pigeonhole God. If God wants to save someone like that through the revelation of a sunset, He will. But what we can gather in observing the way the world is and how people are coming to faith now, as Dr. Taylor puts it, is that the Christian relationships are vital to that process somewhere along the line. And it's as true in the 21st century as it was in the first century. So that's why we've made this a core value in our church. Sharing our faith is central to our calling. It's central. Because if we never share our faith, 
This room stays the same. We just get older. Not joking. We'll all be older tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after that. And I hope to get older because the alternative is to go and be with my Lord. (laughs) But we don't want this room to stay the same, do we? We want to see new faces, new families, new experiences, new joys. And that comes from us taking seriously the, the calling we have been given as followers to share the hope that we have in our life. So in a world where information and opinion is everywhere, is it not? Everyone's got an opinion. What cuts through the noise? Don't miss this. What cuts through the noise is the experiences and the invitation of a friend to come and see what has changed your life. That's what cuts through the noise. Not a Facebook argument, not a well-rounded blog post, not even a video sermon from your pastor. What cuts through the noise is a friend that says, come and see something that has changed my life. It's the same with Ryan and the Hot Bread Bakery. Here we are again. This is what I've witnessed. A truly wonderful lunch experience. Come and see and try it for yourself because I believe it'll be one of the best lunches you've had in a while. But what if, with as much enthusiasm as I might talk about lunch, and I do, what if I were to say, hey, I was struggling with an addiction and I heard this sermon about how Jesus could help me with this. And I've been sober for three years. I know you've been struggling with that. Could you come and, why don't you come and see and experience that? My marriage has been struggling for years. And a friend showed me some scriptures about honoring my wife and it seems to be really working. Maybe that could work for you and what you're going through with your relationship. Or I was thinking about taking my own life, and, but a friend called me up and called me up out of the blue for some reason and spoke about the love that God has for me. And I have down days, but I know that I'm loved and that God helps me through. Those three stories are stories I know from this church since I got here. This church since I got here, three stories. And I know we've got more stories than that. But friends, that's what it looks like to say, this is the Jesus I know, come and see. You have a story and you have an opportunity. So I'm going to wrap it up there. So much more I could say, but I've I want to wrap you up with an invitation and a challenge. The invitation, quite simply, is to have the courage to say something, knowing you don't need all the answers. Do you have a relationship in your life that you would be willing to put at risk for the sake of their eternal future? Have the courage and trust that you don't need all the answers. And if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to have the courage 
to come and see what all of this with Jesus is all about. So that's the first one. But the second one is this. It's a challenge. When was the last time you were as excited about your story of faith and your experiences of faith as you were about recommending something like lunch, like a local bookstore, like a hardware store? When was the last time you were as passionate about what God has done to change your life as you were about that wonderful place you went for lunch? Because for some of us, we've forgotten. We've forgotten what Jesus has done. And so I challenge you to spend some time this week in prayer asking God to remind you of that. To reignite that fire so that somehow, by His grace, you would encounter that excitement again. To invite the people that you know and love to come and see and meet this Jesus that changed your life. So have courage this week to share what you know. And be willing to pray for a divine excitement in your life again, if it's, if it's lost. To be able to share what you know to be true with an enthusiasm, like I might do with Ryan in the hot bread bakery. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it shapes and transforms and renews our life. And, and Lord, there's such a challenging thing here. Lord, we don't like the idea, to be honest, of putting our heart out on our sleeve for the sake of a relationship. But Lord, we know your word tells us that, that it's worth it. Because we would not have a transformed relationship without someone doing it for us. So Lord, would you give us the courage and the grace to receive this word? Would you speak into our hearts of what it is you want us to know and how it is that you would like us to respond? Lord, give us the, the courage to in, invite someone that we know and love to come and see. But Lord, also, if we've if for some reason our enthusiasm has died. And it could just be that we've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and it was a long time ago that we remembered what it was like to do life without you. Lord, would you reignite that passion in our life? Reignite that fire. Remind us of what we were before we came to know you. Remind us of the ways that you have provided journeyed, sustained, nurtured, and grown us in this life so that we can share those things with passion, enthusiasm, excitement, and invite someone to come and see you for themselves. Lord, ignite this value in us, relational evangelism, that we might see this community transformed with your gospel, one life at a time. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know, or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it.
special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gorleyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.